Hey, everybody. Welcome to a Community of Principles podcast, a conversation to support leaders. I'm your host, Ben Gilpin. Now, let's get this started. Okay, good morning, Memspa. How are we doing? This is Ben Gilpin coming to you with the Community of Principles podcast, and I'm really excited because we have an absolute phenomenal educator and person that's going to be coming on with us that I'll introduce in just a moment. But for most of you, you are in the midst now probably of testing season. And I can speak for myself, can't speak for you, but this is not the part of the job that I love. This is the part that... uh, We have to meet the requirement, and it is so critical that we have a positive mindset, not only for our teachers, but also for our students and for our community. And so that is my A number one focus during testing season is to have a positive mindset and to really just try our best and do what the best we can. So that's my little two cents on the testing window. The other thing is today, today is actually, if you are in MEMSPA, you, you may or may not know this, but today is Paul Liebenau's birthday. So if you happen to hear this podcast in the next week or so, reach out and make sure you let Paul know that uh, he's being thought about and uh, wishing him a happy birthday because Paul does so much for Michigan and for education and for MEMSPA. So without any further ado, I am going to get to our guest, the one and only author, educator, principal, mom, wife, you name it. She does it all. And she sings Allison Apsey. <laughs> Welcome, Allison, to the Community of Principles podcast. We are delighted to have you. And I know that uh, our listeners are really going to enjoy listening to your story. So I know you're on the road and I know that you're uh, you're really um, probably trying to spend some time with your family, but um, thank you for taking a few minutes to join us. How's it going? Good morning. I'm so excited to on this podcast. And I want to echo your sentiments and say happy birthday, Paul. He is an amazing leader and and someone I look up to and just appreciate all his work on behalf of the principals and of course, then the staff and the students in the state of Michigan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well said. So Allison, um, typically what we do at the beginning is, um, is I ask the question, tell us about your journey. How did you get to where you are today? And before you jump in, I know you've got a new book out there, The Path to Serendipity. So uh, for those of you that are, are readers, which is pretty much all of us, I would highly, highly recommend checking out The Path to Serendipity Uh, I believe it's also going to be available on Amazon. You can pre-order now, and it will probably be in your hands in just a matter of a few weeks. But Allison, tell us about your journey to where you are now. Wow. That's a big question. (laughs) Yeah. As an educator, I always want to share that I never even saw myself or thought of myself as a teacher when I was a student. I saw school as a chore, something to suffer through during the day. And I was an avid reader, absolutely loved to read. And historical fiction was my favorite. I would spend hours upon hours reading at night and learning and exploring curiosities with, you know, human interaction and all that I was learning through historical fiction or autobiographies or biographies. And then it was so bad, Ben, that I was voted class sleeper my senior year. <laughs> now, see, I, knowing you now, I would have thought something like 
most likely to start a, some type of a dance or most likely to go on American Idol or something like that. I would not have anticipated Sleeper. Yes. And that, that continued into college because I graduated from high school and I said, okay, I don't know what I want to be. And I do know that I don't want to be a teacher. So I guess I'm going to go to college and try to figure it out. So I headed off to Grand Rapids Community College and experienced the same kind of emotions and sentiment with those classes. Like I would wake up in the morning, look at my alarm clock, think, do I have a test today? And if I didn't, I'd roll back over and go back to sleep. I still I have nightmares now as a you know self-conscious, conscientious adult about enrolling in a class and then forgetting I enrolled and then showing up one day and it's the final exam. I'm embarrassed to say that that's how I experienced even my first few years of, of college, but it turned a corner when I had to take an educational psychology class because one of my other classes was canceled. And I was the only person in there who didn't want to be a teacher, but I still had to do the same volunteer experience in a classroom that every other student had to do. And I walked into my aunt's first grade classroom and was probably like scared and looked at those kids and started interacting with them and just was overcome by this incredible feeling of responsibility to help make their educational experience different than mine. And you know, I loved my teachers, well, most of them, <laughs> and, you know, had great, built great relationships during my educational experience, but it didn't foster this love of learning. Like I felt like I had to foster that outside of the school day. And I don't want that for any student that I work with. You know, it's, it's really, and I've encountered several different educators that don't have the same story as you, but there is a connection. And there are, really, truly some fantastic and amazing educators that didn't have the best school experience themselves. And I really think there's a lot to that. I mean, if we're willing to try something different, then we know that the school that we went to maybe didn't necessarily fit the best. And I think that's one of the things that really can, sets you apart that, you know, maybe school wasn't perfect for you, and so you're willing to try something different to make it a better experience for others. And, and that's what I see. And that's what, and when I, when I'm watching you from my 500 foot view, that's truly, you're making a joyful experience for all of your students. Thanks, Ben. But it's, it's my staff, my teachers, they make the experience incredible for students. And my job is to support them, empower them and clear obstacles from their path. So they can do their thing and they are amazing. They're creative and passionate. They're questioners. I love being the principal of Quincy Elementary. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And so before you got to Quincy, so you told us a little bit about your, your K-12 and then your, your college experience. What happened after college? Because I assume that you didn't go directly to Quincy. I did not. This is my fourth year, Quincy, and it's my 20th year, I think. In education. So graduated from Grand Valley State University with my teaching certificate in December. So I had to take an extra semester because I had, you know, I first went into business and then I switched to education. So I graduated in December and I'm, I'm kind of stubborn and, and headstrong and I go after my goals. <laughs> and I had a goal and all the other 
my classmates thought, well, I'll sub for a semester and then get a job for the next school year because typically teachers get hired for the beginning of the school year. But I thought, man, I think there's some jobs out there. And if there are, I'm going to find them. And I did. I got my first teaching job. I actually had to leave student teaching a couple weeks early to start my first teaching position. And it um, was in Wyoming Public Schools, which is a suburb of Grand Rapids. And I got a job at Huntington Woods Elementary. And Huntington Woods was a school of choice in Wyoming Public Schools. And, And that wasn't really a common thing in 1998 when I got my first job. And Huntington Woods was an extended, had an extended calendar, multi-age classrooms. So my job was teaching third, fourth, and fifth graders all together, team teaching. So we had 50 students shared between two teachers and no wall in between the classrooms. And it, it was a William Glasser quality school. So I was, in, if you're familiar with choice theory at all, it's a system, it's a way to, to understand what motivates behavior and understand how to help each other live effective lives. In, in a classroom, you don't use external control. So you don't use rewards or punishments when you work with the students. It's more about like natural consequences, helping students develop intrinsic control. So then that was completely different than any other experience I had had when I was in college, any of the classroom placements. You know, we had these traditional systems where, you know, like an apple chart where you had the apples and they start in the green zone. And if a student misbehaves, you move their apple to the yellow zone. And if they continue, you move it to the red zone. Red zone might be divided into like five minutes off recess, 10 minutes off recess, 15 minutes off recess, or a parent phone call. And I remember in my student teaching placement, once students understood that system, I just would have to step toward that chart and they'd straighten up. And so then I'm in this classroom and I can't use any behavior management supports like that Apple chart. And I was lost. Like it was a disaster of a first semester of teaching. I didn't know, I was just learning choice theory. And choice theory is one of those things that you have to understand and incorporate into your own life that like we're in control of our behavior and that we do have some control over our feelings. If we're feeling bad, we can do something about that to not feel bad. I always thought like, people made me angry or my mood was just like randomly determined by how I woke up that morning and understanding that I have complete control over so much of my life. And that, you know, sometimes our worst enemy is right between our own two ears. That was something that I had to grasp first before then I could help my students understand that they have complete control over themselves. And on the other hand, I was responsible for creating a need-satisfying environment for my students so that they didn't have to act out to meet their needs in the classroom, that they could meet their needs for power and freedom and fun and love and belonging and survival within the functions of the environment that I created for them rather than acting out to meet those needs. So I was learning all this. In the meantime, like staring at myself in the mirror of the staff bathroom thinking, what have you done, Allison? This is a you know what, but you know what? What is? But see, that is part of your journey helped shape who you are today, and that's what I really enjoy. I mean, as I've listened to other leaders and, and as I continue to get to know more and more people, that's the one thing that I take away from. I mean, everybody's journey helps shape who they are, and without that experience, I don't think you'd be in the same spot you are right now. So then, tell about how did you get to Quincy because. 
I mean, I can I hear about your your uh, beginning days as a teacher, but you know, how did Quincy end up coming into the mix? I was at Huntington Woods for a year and a half, and my principal there actually she moved into a central office position, and then she decided she was moving to Traverse City to open a charter school. And my husband and I were newly married and looking to like branch out and create a life of our own. So I asked her if I could have a job at the charter school in Traverse City. And my family thought I was nuts because, you know, I was in the retirement system. I had, you know, a good teaching job. I could have stayed in in Wyoming public schools for, you know, 30 years and wrapped up my career there. But instead, I took a risk. We moved to Traverse City and I helped open Grand Traverse Academy. I was a teacher there. And after three years teaching there, I became a school leader. And so I spent a total of 14 years at Grand Traverse Academy. And um, about 11 of those years was as an assistant principal and then as a principal. Okay. And so then, and then I assume Grand Rapids called your name again. So then what happened? Um, I loved my experience at Grand Traverse Academy, um, but there came a time when it, it became clear that I needed a, a different school, a different environment. And so we looked at schools in school districts in the Grand Rapids area, and I ended up applying and getting a principal position with Zeeland Public Schools, which is where Quincy Elementary is. And so this is the spring of my fourth year in Zeeland. And it's it couldn't be a better fit. It is a family-oriented community, and um, they have really embraced me. They allow for innovation. Quincy Elementary, the teachers there, I, I cannot say enough. The quality of our staff and the family environment, and that we look at ourselves as being unique and having this wonderful opportunity to offer a unique school experience to our students. And it is a joy to spend every day there. That's and and that's cool. And, you know, I really, I love hearing this, the journeys and the stories by people because I, you know, the one thing, and and I go back to, you know, listening to uh, Jeremy Patterson when he shared and Mike Domogowski and, uh, and recently Doug Amaral and, you know, hearing how people, how they get to where they are, but the journey, everybody's journey is so unique and different that um, I think we can all learn from that and we can learn to embrace everybody's own unique journey. So I appreciate you sharing that. Um, so Allison, let's, let's transition a little bit. What in education would you say is exciting you the most? What are you, what are you most excited about in education right now? One thing that is, I think I find super exciting is the vast amount of research we have available to us that can help us understand how to best support our students. And throughout my career, I'm sure you've experienced this too. We all have where the pendulum swings back and forth that, you know, it's a focus on testing. Okay. No, we're going to focus on innovative instruction. We're going to focus on you know, having clear, consistent expectations. No, we're going to focus on having a family environment and incorporating class meetings. You see the pendulum swing back and forth. And I feel like we have this opportunity in front of us to stop that pendulum and keep it where it belongs, which is in the middle. Like there's no black and white. It's gray. We need to do what's best for our students, what our students are telling us they need. And we know that they need to be thinkers and problem solvers and creative and to be able to communicate with each other. And it's just 
thrilling for me to go into the classrooms in Quincy Elementary and see teachers being innovative and helping students develop these skills that we know are going to help them be successful for these jobs that they're going to enter, the workforce they're going to enter that, you know, we can't even imagine what that's going to look like, or we can only imagine what that's going to look like. Yeah, very good. Okay, let's see. Let's go on to, um, I, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your family. So let's jump into, let's jump into the next question. And this one would be, tell us a little bit about how Allison finds balance. And I'm very curious, just to get a little bit of a take, um, tell us a little bit about your family as well, because I'm sure that part of finding balance involves your family. For sure. I love spending time. I have two sons. I have Lane, he's 16, and I have Tyson, is 11. And so their entire lives, pretty much, I've been a principal. Lane started coming to Grand Traverse Academy when he was three years old. So that was 13 years ago. So for the past 13 years, I've had one of my sons at my school, which, oh my gosh, what an unbelievable gift. And they're great. My boys are great. And they were well-trained that, you know, mom's principal at school during the day. And, you know, they, they, they don't come to my office. They function as kind of typical students. And that's something that that we've always emphasized, but to be able to, you know, see him in the hall, give him a little wink or a hug, it's been such an incredible blessing. And then being able to experience the school where I'm the principal also as a parent has been an incredible learning experience. So it's so sad, Ben, but Tyson is in fifth grade and Quincy Elementary only goes up to fifth grade. So he's leaving me this year. So next year will be my first year in 13 years that I won't have one of my sons at school with me all day. Wow. That's like an end of an era right there. But, but I would imagine you've prepared him well along the way. And so he's, he's ready to spread his wings and be a middle schooler. I think so. Although bless his heart, he would prefer if I would just go to the middle school and be the principal there too, which (laughs) um, a win, right? That he's not totally sick of me by the end of his elementary career. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, I know a little bit about your husband. I know that he is, he's active on, uh, when it comes to golf and, and especially, I think he does some work, a superintendent possibly, um, at a golf course. So tell us a little bit about him. Yeah. So Jim is, well, on Tuesday, we're going to celebrate 19 years of marriage. Awesome. We were babies. I was 22 when we got married and I was 18 when we met. So we, um, we grew up together for sure because we certainly weren't grown up yet when we got married, but he's a golf course superintendent and just, he's like the opposite of me. Super mechanical, can fix anything when there's a problem at home or at the house. Like, I mean, he like figures out how to fix our furnace or, um, and I would have no idea how to do any of that stuff. So I feel so blessed to have him in my life. And then I talk his ear off and wax philosophical with him. And I'm sure we are like exact opposites. Oh, that's good. Now, now the last, okay. So before we actually jump into um, our fun little uh, word association, what is one, but what is one way Allison finds that balance? Because, you know, from people that get to see some of your Facebook live stuff and some from people that are going to, that are reading the path to serendipity and people that know you, I mean, here's what they know. They know that you love to dance. 
They know that you like to sing, but they also know that you love being out on the boat and that you love your summertime. So what is one way Allison finds balance when she needs it most? So can I give you two ways? Sure. Okay. So one is fueling my soul, doing things that fuel my soul. And and one is writing. So I'm so excited for the path to serendipity to be released. And I write on a blog called Serendipity in Education. And I fuel my soul by trying to provide through my writing or through videos or whatever I do, joyful experiences for other people and, and emotional journeys where people might reflect on their own lives and think about their strengths and things that they might do to fuel their own soul and things that they might do to bring joy into their life. So that's fueling my soul is one way I find balance. The other is being where I am. And that sounds so simple and silly, but we go like a hundred miles an hour. And I think it's so important to be with the person right in front of me and be right where I am. So even though I'm in a hotel, hold up at a corner, like I'm with you, Ben, right now. And then when I'm with my family later on today, I need to be with them 100%. When I'm at school and you know, as a principal, like we have so many things coming at us at once, but that person walking up to me is the most important person in my life at that moment. And I need to be right there with them. And I think that helps us accomplish so many things and be successful and effective when we have so many things going on in our lives. Yep. Very well said. Yep. Especially being 100% present where we need to be. So I like that. Okay. You ready for this word association? I don't know. I'm a little nervous. Okay. First thing that comes to mind, you got to say it. Okay. We're going to start off easy. Winter. Snowshoeing. Okay. Favorite musical artist? Beyonce. That was the first thing that came to mind. I don't know if she's my favorite. (laughs) Best big city in Michigan? Grand Rapids. I figured you'd say that. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) Your guilty pleasure? Oh, French fries. Okay. You took a little bit longer than I thought you would, but okay. (laughs) Um, Okay, next one. Next one, let's see. If you could meet any celebrity, who would you meet? Wow. Gretchen Rubin. Oh, okay. I got one more for you. Tell the audience, if you got to go anywhere in Chicago, since we all know Chicago, if you got to go anywhere in Chicago to eat dinner, where's it going to be? Oh, that's a no-brainer. It would be Shaw's Crab House, and they are closing. So I would love, I don't even know if they're already closed, but my husband and I went there for the first time on our honeymoon. And we love like raw oysters and seafood and crab legs. So it would be Shaw's. And the last time I went there was about five years ago, but I heard that they're either closed or closing and I'm so sad. Okay. That, you know what? I was anticipating that you were going to say some type of a deep dish, dish pizza, but um, I like where you went with that because that's a unique way. So well done. <laughs> okay. We got one last question. And this last question is absolutely my favorite. Who is one person? And you can only do one. Who's one person that has helped you become the leader you are today? Well, I have to say, Kay Mentley, who is the woman who gave me that job in Traverse City at Grand Traverse Academy and the woman who asked me to become a principal. And we had a, a unique relationship. 
And she was really hard on me, but I learned so much and I grew so much as a person and as a leader through watching her and, and through some, some hard lessons as when I was working with her. You know, it, I like how, because, because the person that sometimes nudges us into leadership, sometimes that person can be almost that challenging, difficult person at times. But then when we look back and we reflect, that is a person that really made a huge impact and difference. Um, you know, I, I think back to, you know, when I was in school, I, there were times I had some teachers that I absolutely couldn't stand. But I will tell you now, when I look back and reflect, they're some of the teachers that I feel like I, I grew the most from. So it's, it, it's just, it's, it's such a, everybody's path and everybody's um, uh, journey is just very different. So I appreciate that share. You know, if, do you feel as though as, as um, because you've been a leader and a principal for, for now many years, what is one thing that you do to grow leaders underneath you? I think that every single staff member at Quincy Elementary is a leader in some capacity. So they all have their strengths and they all have their areas where they want to improve. And so I think it's really important as a leader to celebrate and recognize those strengths and point them out. And there's so many times I, I point out a strength or an area of leadership to a staff member and they never saw themselves as a leader in that way. Um, so I think that's an important way. And then the other is, you know, ask teachers, have you ever seen yourself as a principal? You know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Do you see yourself as a classroom teacher for the rest of your life or, and let them know if you see that leadership potential in them. Yep. Very good. Having those conversations and then being a, and being a great active listener. And I know you are that as well. Well, Allison, I just want to say thanks again for coming on. If someone wants to find your book, can you uh, give it a, give it a quick plug? How are they going to find your new book that's coming out in just a couple short weeks? Yeah. So the path to serendipity is available on for pre-order on Amazon, and then it'll be available for ordering. It'll be out like the, the release date is May 3rd. I'm so excited. I'm nervous, Ben. <laughs> path to serendipity is it's, there's a lot of me and you've read the book. You endorse yes. me and it's me on the pages of a book. <laughs> and so to like release that to the world is a little nerve wracking, but I wrote this book thinking that if the only people who ever have it are my sons and their families, that's enough. So it's, it's my story, my journey, and it's designed to be an emotional journey for the reader where you're reflecting on your own life throughout. And it's interesting because as I shared it with some individuals to read it and endorse it, I had people contacting me throughout the process as they're reading it and, and sharing their connections. And that's where the hashtag path to serendipity. So it's path and then the number two and then serendipity was born to help us all share our connections and stories because the path to serendipity is about the reader. It's not about me. Well, you say that, but you say that, but I will say this. So a couple of things. Um, first of all, yes, I have read it and, and I highly, highly recommend the path to serendipity to absolutely everyone, not just her family, but also to all educators, teachers, principals, you name it. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you my two cents and why. The one thing that you, that you will always find with Allison is she's very vulnerable. And she, I mean, what you see is what you get. She's extremely authentic. 
She has, she wears her heart on her sleeve and she's definitely vulnerable. And to take a, a quote from Brene Brown, vulnerability sounds like truth and feels like courage. Truth and courage aren't always comfortable, but they're never weakness because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. That right there, in a nutshell, is why I would tell you, get the path to serendipity, check it out, and be vulnerable. Just like Allison is on a daily basis, her true self comes out, and that's why she's a phenomenal leader and someone that we should definitely learn from on a daily basis. Thank you again, Allison. I really appreciate you coming on, and I hope that you're able to get back to your family and uh, stay dry in all this uh, wet weather. Yeah, thank you so much, Ben. What a fun experience. I just appreciate you helping leaders in the state of Michigan share their stories. It's wonderful. And I've listened to many of the podcasts and have learned from every single one. So thank you. Absolutely. Appreciate that. And uh, keep in mind, we've got uh, some episodes coming up shortly. Paul Liebenau is going to be with us in the next couple of weeks. And we also have Jason Gribble on store as, uh, in store as well. So uh, check out the episode with Allison. Please leave us some feedback, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or on the MEMSPA page, because we are all learning together and growing. And if you have a suggestion on who, who should be in an upcoming episode, I would love to hear from you and find out more people I could be interviewing. Thanks again. Thanks again, Allison. And um, for everybody else, continue to grow, continue to reflect, and continue to support each other. Well, thanks again to our guest. Let's continue to connect and reflect because that's what leaders do. Thank you to all of our listeners. Don't forget to check out hashtag MemspaChat Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can also find more leadership tools at memspa.org.